Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Good morning. Breaking overnight, Afghanistan falls. A catastrophe for its people and a debacle for the Biden administration. A triumphant Taliban storming the presidential palace in Kabul, seizing total control of the country. Americans evacuated from the embassy by helicopter scenes echoing the darkest final days of Vietnam. The military scrambling even more U.S. troops over the weekend in a last-minute effort to get out. Chaos at the Kabul airport with Afghans now desperate to flee. And the president at Camp David standing by his decision but under fire for a botched withdrawal. This is going to be a stain on this president and his presidency. Just ahead, we'll go one-on-one with the president's national security advisor on the administration's plans and missteps. And after 20 years and thousands of lives lost, what might the future hold? Could the country once again become a safe haven for terrorists? And what about the women and girls now facing a brutal Taliban regime? Richard Engel is on the ground live in Kabul. Help for Haiti, the U.S. rushing in supplies and rescue teams after that devastating earthquake over the weekend. The death toll there now rising to nearly 1,300 people, thousands more missing and injured. A state of emergency declared. We are there live. One-two punch, the south bracing for tropical storm Fred's imminent arrival. Flooding rain and high winds expected across the region. And right behind it, grace on a path toward the Gulf. Dylan is tracking both storms. Rough waters, the largest COVID outbreak on board a cruise ship since the industry's return. More than two dozen people sick on a boat that left from a Texas port. Some passengers unaware of the cases until they saw them on the news. I actually was not notified by the carnival ship at all. I saw it on social media first. We will have the very latest. Those stories plus school supply shortage, the struggle facing families coast to coast as kids head back to class. Straight ahead, everything you need to know to find what you need and to save. And making Poppy proud, Muhammad Ali's grandson makes his very successful debut in professional boxing. TKO victory for the grandson of the GOAT. What he is saying to us this morning about carrying on the icon's legacy and a touching tribute to him in the my, ring. My custom trunks weren't ready, but it turned out perfectly. Today, Monday, August 16th, 2021. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Cuppy, live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Today on a Monday morning. We're glad you're along with us. We're real glad you're back, Hoda. It is so good to be back. We do have a real, real busy news morning. A lot of developments from Afghanistan and a lot to get you caught up on. That's right. Overnight, U.S. forces evacuated all staff from the U.S. Embassy while a desperate scene unfolds at the Kabul airport. President Biden has authorized an additional 1,000 troops to aid in those efforts of evacuating Americans. This comes after the Taliban stormed into Kabul, seizing control of the country's capital, the final stop 
in their stunning and rapid takeover. Meantime, the president of Afghanistan has fled the country with images emerging of insurgents in the country's equivalent of the Oval Office. A stunning scene, and we've got complete coverage for you from Afghanistan and the White House, including our interview with President Biden's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan. But let's get started with NBC's chief foreign correspondent, Richard Engel, who is on the ground for us in Kabul this morning. Richard, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, Savannah. I am now very near the Kabul International Airport, and all morning we've been hearing sporadic gunfire. Just a few moments ago, I watched one of those American transport planes take off even amid the gunfire. And what is unfolding here are scenes of, of utter desperation as Afghans are rushing in, trying to get out of this country. They don't want to be left behind. It has become one of the symbols of the chaotic withdrawal and what the U.S. is leaving behind here in Afghanistan. Afghans are thronging to Kabul's airport desperate to get on planes and leave the country at any cost. They're scaling the airport's walls this morning, rushing in. There's no screening, no security checks, just force of numbers. When they do manage to push aboard planes, they're so crowded, pilots won't take off. And no one agrees to disembark. It's all happening just a few hundred yards from the military side of Kabul airport, now separated by a row of barbed wire from the civilian side in chaos. The military side is where the U.S. is staging an elaborate evacuation of American diplomats from the embassy. But even here, Afghans managed to push through, willing to cling onto an aircraft as it took off rather than stay in Afghanistan. Afghans say the Americans are only focused on getting U.S. citizens out, along with some interpreters. Although tens of thousands of translators still have no U.S. visas, so they too are left to the Taliban. The militants took control of Kabul yesterday. We watched them move in. Kabul is falling now. We've just left our office, our longtime home in Afghanistan, and we're heading to a safer location, what we hope will be a safer location. Already we've seen some gunmen who look like Taliban on the streets, and all of the government checkpoints, all the police, all the soldiers, they're gone. Now, the Taliban are out in full force. They took over the presidential palace, occupied Kabul's version of the Oval Office. Afghanistan's president fled the country. The Taliban have set up checkpoints across the Afghan capital, and their Islamist rule is already coming back. This was a popular beauty salon, styling women's hair and makeup. The Taliban banned salons, along with education for women and girls. So when the Taliban came back, now they've painted over the beauty shop. People here know what the Taliban want. They know what the Taliban expect. We watched a man tear up the beauty parlor's sign in line with the Taliban's wishes. The Taliban don't just control Kabul, but the whole country and all the weapons the U.S. bought for the Afghan army. There are also reports of atrocities, including abductions, rape, and executions. The militants are much stronger now than 20 years ago when the U.S. drove them from power when they sheltered Osama bin Laden as he plotted 9-11. Now the Taliban are back as the U.S. leaves Afghanistan, gripped by panic and run by extremists. The Taliban have been taking pot shots at the U.S. transport planes as they leave, and many are drawing comparisons to the U.S. evacuation from Saigon.
All right, Richard Engel in Kabul. Stay safe, and we'll be back with you. Thank you. The chaotic scenes in Afghanistan have quickly become the Biden administration's biggest foreign policy challenge. And this morning, under fire from both sides of the aisle, the White House is scrambling to contain the fallout. NBC's chief White House correspondent Peter Alexander is picking up that part of the story. Hey, Peter, good morning. Hoda, good morning to you. As this crisis unfolds, President Biden remains at Camp David conferring with his advisors. He has not spoken publicly about Afghanistan since last Tuesday, and the White House is now evaluating how and when the president should address the nation, acknowledging that Americans want to hear from him. The president now facing mounting criticism, as you've heard, both about his decision to withdraw U.S. troops and the chaotic way this is all playing out. President Biden this morning facing a catastrophic failure of U.S. foreign policy. Our only glimpse of the president in the last 24 hours, this White House photo showing him seated alone at Camp David, consulting by video conference with national security advisors, including Vice President Kamala Harris. Despite the president's promise that the withdrawal of American troops would be responsible, deliberate and safe, the Biden administration is now trying to explain why the U.S. was so caught off guard by the stunning speed of the Taliban takeover, pointing to the collapse of Afghan security forces. Unfortunately, uh, tragically, they have not been able uh, to defend the country, and I think that uh, explains why this has moved as quickly as it's moved. That acknowledgement coming despite the U.S. spending $87 billion over 20 years to train Afghan military forces. This morning, the chorus of criticism is growing. This is going to be a stain on this president and his presidency, and I think he's going to have blood on his hands for what they did. Even the president's allies demanding answers. This is an intelligence failure. Uh, we underestimated the Taliban and overestimated the resolve of the Afghan army. President Biden in a statement this weekend writing one more year or five more years of U.S. military presence would not have made a difference if the Afghan military cannot or will not hold its own country. Still, he's likely to be haunted by these comments from last month. But the likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. Even before the catastrophic collapse, defense officials worried a Taliban takeover could allow al-Qaeda to rebuild and consolidate, creating security concerns well beyond the Afghan border. For those who served and sacrificed in America's longest war, like retired Army Staff Sergeant Seamus Fennessy, anger and sadness. It feels like not only a betrayal of what our soldiers have bled for. The way in which we're pulling out is something that's disgraceful. The Pentagon has warned each of the last four presidents that a situation like this could happen when the U.S. left Afghanistan. But President Biden will now go down in history as the commander-in-chief presiding when America's longest war came to such an abrupt and devastating end. Savannah. All right, Peter, thank you. And joining us now also from the White House, President Biden's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan. Mr. Sullivan, good morning to you. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Let's first talk about the status of the evacuation effort going on at this hour. How many evacuees are there left to go? When do you expect this to be completed? Well, first, Savannah, I want to salute the skill and professionalism of the U.S. military, who has now completed the drawdown of the U.S. Embassy compound in Kabul. Uh, all U.S. diplomats and civilian personnel have been removed from that facility, and we're down to a very small civilian presence at the airport that is organizing an effort to ensure that we get out remaining American citizens, as well as Afghans at risk, 
and we are in the process of trying to fully secure the airport and execute that set of evacuation flights, uh, which will proceed over the coming days. Mr. Sullivan, friends and foes alike are calling this withdrawal a fiasco, a debacle, and it is one that apparently the administration did not fully appreciate or see coming. Let me play you uh, some of what the president himself has said in the last six weeks or so. The likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. Do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling... None whatsoever. Zero. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of a embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. And yet that is precisely what we have seen over these last few days. How do you explain getting this so wrong? Well, first, Savannah, to be fair, the helicopter has been the mode of transport from our embassy to the airport for the last 20 years. But you know the larger that is, point. That is, it's not the that helicopter. Is how we move it's not the mechanism. Forth, so. No, no, it's to, the last minute scramble. You know that. It's the last minute scramble when the assurances from the president himself were this was not what we were going to see. It is certainly the case that the speed with which cities fell uh, was much greater than anyone anticipated, including uh, the Afghans, uh, including uh, many of the analysts who looked hard at this problem. And the, part of the reason for that, Savannah, is because at the end of the day, despite the fact that we spent 20 years and tens of billions of dollars to give the best equipment, the best training, and the best capacity to the Afghan National Security Forces, we could not give them the will. And they ultimately decided that they would not fight for Kabul and they would not fight for the country. And that, and may that opened may, the door. Yeah, and that the, may or may not that opened be the, the door US's to the fault. Taliban yeah. to be able. I'm sorry, just, the, just yeah. to complete the thought, they, they, that opened the door to the Taliban to, to come into Kabul. Uh, very rapidly. I guess the question had, is, why, though, did the administration not know that? I mean, th that's the critical question facing the president. It, it, why did he assume that there would be this will to fight? Why was he uh, ex saying, uh, regaling reporters with how well-equipped and better-equipped the Afghan forces were if, in the end, they had no will to fight? Shouldn't we have known that? Well, what the president kept saying over and over again was that it was not inevitable that Kabul would fall, and it was not inevitable. There was the capacity to stand up and resist. That capacity didn't happen. Now, the president prepared for every possible contingency, including this one. The reason that there are U.S. forces at the airport effectuating a successful drawdown of our embassy, uh, securing the airport to be able to get other people out, is because the president pre-positioned those forces, thousands of them, in the Gulf so they could be moved in rapidly in the event that there was a rapid collapse. Isn't this as a worst-case scenario? As soon as that scenario? started happening last week, he started moving people in. Actually, Savannah, I think the worst-case scenario for the United States would be a circumstance in which we were adding back in thousands and thousands of troops to fight and die in a civil war in Afghanistan when the Afghan army wasn't prepared to fight in it itself. That was the alternative choice Joe Biden faced. And what we learned over the course of the past two weeks is that if we had stayed one more year, or two more years, or five more years, or 10 more years, no amount of training, equipping, or money, or lives lost by the United States was going to put the Afghan army in a position to be able to sustain that country on its own. So the president had bad choices. And the choice he made, which was to bring U.S. forces home, to get us out of that civil war, to get our diplomats out of the embassy, 
and uh, to ultimately ask the Afghans to step up and fight for themselves. It is heartbreaking to see what's happening in Kabul. But the, the president had to make the best possible choice he could, and he stands by that decision. And there is no easy answer in Afghanistan. There is no question about that. But I, I guess the issue before you and the administration now is why this withdrawal wasn't better executed. You made the decision in April to have this end of summer, initially 9-11 withdrawal of U.S. troops. Why the last-minute scramble to get our Americans out of the embassy? Why haven't those Afghan civilians who supported our troops over the last 20 years, why are they still waiting, hoping to get out of this country? Why the last minute scramble just on Saturday? You added another thousand troops. Nothing about this seems like it's part of the plan. Well, first, Savannah, I think it's important to recognize that the main element of our drawdown was completed in July. We were left with a small footprint of forces at the international airport in Kabul. So what is facing us today is actually the evacuation of the embassy and civilians. And that is something that happens during uh, the context of civil conflict. We were intending to keep an embassy in Kabul uh, after our military drawdown. So this is not uh, the, the end of our military drawdown. This is the end of our civilian drawdown. And we had to flow forces back in, as one does in any one of these evacuation-type operations, uh, where you have to remove civilians from an embassy and citizens from the country. And we had a plan in place to do that, and we are executing that. And finally, the Taliban is notoriously vicious, particularly to women and girls. And there have already been reports of surrendering soldiers being executed, of Taliban commanders demanding unmarried women and girls be handed over. Are you aware of such atrocities, and what is the U.S. in the position to do about it? Savannah, every uh, policy decision that we take no matter how big or how small, has human consequences. And we are aware of that. And it is heartbreaking to see what is happening in Afghanistan right now. And we will do everything in our power from the point of view of economic, diplomatic, and political tools to hold the Taliban accountable, uh, to live up to its international obligations. But the alternative that we face to physically protect people in Afghanistan was to put American men and women in large numbers back in harm's way, fighting and dying in a civil war that its own forces wouldn't fight in. That the president wasn't prepared to do. He is prepared to marshal the international community on this issue. He cares passionately about these human rights questions, uh, and we will stay focused on them in the period ahead. But that was not a reason for the United States to enter a third decade of war uh, in, in the middle of an internal conflict in another country. Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor at the White House. I know it's busy time. Appreciate your time this morning, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Moving now to another crisis we're following closely, the devastating earthquake in Haiti. Tom Yamas is in for Craig this morning with that story. Hey, Tom, morning. Hey, guys, good morning to you. That's right, the frantic search for survivors is now entering its third day. Overnight, the death toll soaring to some 1,300 people with thousands more injured. And now a potential tropical system is expected to add to the misery there. NBC's Gabe Gutierrez is in Port-au-Prince this morning. Gabe, Haiti can't seem to catch a break. Tom, good morning. The U.S. Coast Guard right now is preparing to load up supplies and medical personnel and head to some of the hardest hit regions. Then they'll transport some critically wounded patients back here to Port-au-Prince. And we should warn you, some of the images you're about to see are tough to watch. But Haiti's prime minister has declared a state of emergency after one of the most powerful earthquakes this country has ever seen.
This morning, a country in crisis. People tearing through rubble to find any signs of life after a monstrous 7.2 magnitude earthquake on Saturday devastated southwest Haiti. The death toll now soaring to nearly 1,300 with more than 5,000 people hurt, many seriously. People just started screaming everywhere on the streets and just out of, you know, panic and fear. The massive quake flattening buildings across Haiti's southern peninsula, triggering landslides that cut off access to some smaller communities. Families who lost their homes are now sleeping on nearby soccer fields. Hospitals already pushed to the brink by the COVID pandemic forced to set up triage centers outside. People in desperate need of aid evacuated by air to Port-au-Prince. An international effort to help is now underway. The U.S. sending a 65-person search and rescue team from Virginia at the request of the Haitian government. The U.S. Coast Guard is also helping airlift the injured. Overall, how significant is the devastation in that part of the island? It's a pretty significant scope of damage. A substantial amount of work to be done. This is the latest devastation for a country that has never fully recovered from an earthquake in 2010 that killed as many as 300,000 people. Haiti is also already dealing with political chaos, sparked by the brazen assassination of its president last month. And now, Tropical Storm Grace is forecast to hit Haiti by tomorrow, bringing punishing rain that could lead to flash flooding and new mudslides. Yet another blow to a country in crisis. Now, this earthquake was actually more powerful than the one in 2010 that killed a quarter million people. But the difference was is that its epicenter was in the southwestern part of the country, a much more rural area. Now there are new concerns, though, that tropical depression grace could bring torrential rain and the potential for more mudslides, further complicating these search and rescue efforts. Tom? And we will stay on top of that development. All right, Gabe, thank you. All right, let's turn to Dylan. I was in for Al this morning, and you're, we were just talking about Grace. Mm -hmm. You're tracking Grace and Fred. Yeah, Fred impacting Florida, but Grace, it, right now, not a very strong storm, but it does certainly have the potential to produce up to 10 to maybe even 15 inches of rain as it passes just to the south of Haiti. So, again, that will lead to mudslides, and it's coming right on the heels of that earthquake. So a very uh, potentially dangerous situation with the amount of rain we're expecting there. Also, quickly want to point out uh, Tropical Storm Fred. The heaviest rain is now about to move through Panama City. The big bend of Florida could end up with up to 12 inches of rain in parts of Alabama. And Mississippi could end up with about uh, 6 to 8 inches of rain. And that's your latest forecast. All right, Dylan, thank you. Uh, just ahead, new COVID concerns and safety rules for cruises after dozens of cases are reported on a single carnival ship. And wait until you see how passengers learned about that outbreak. Carrie Sanders joins us live with the latest. Plus, a big problem for millions of families, a shortage of back-to-school supplies. Vicki Wynn's got a closer look at what's driving it and how to find and save on the items your children need. But first, this is Today on NBC. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. 
with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash today. Just go to Indeed.com slash today right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash today. Conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Back on a Monday morning with much more. But first, this is Today on NBC. We're back at 7.30 on a Monday morning, the 16th day of August 2021, the start of a new work week as we show you our view outside our little window on the world. Nice to be back with everybody. Yeah, good to be here. And we'll begin this half hour with the cruise industry's return, encountering some choppy new waters this morning. Yeah, a carnival ship that departed from Texas is now dealing with a COVID outbreak. More than two dozen people, most of them staff members, testing positive. And some passengers learned about those cases by checking social media. NBC's Carrie Sanders joins us with more. Hey, Carrie, good morning. Well, good morning, guys. Carnival cruise ship Vista was that cruise line's first ship to return to sailing in late July. And then one month later, this happening. 27 people testing positive. 26 are crew members, one passenger. All of the tests being revealed while at sea. This is a major setback for the industry. This morning, trouble on the high seas. 27 COVID cases on board the Carnival cruise ship Vista, uncovered on day four of an eight-day cruise. U.S. health officials in Carnival did not release the number of positive COVID cases. Instead, it was revealed by the government of Belize. The outbreak discovered shortly before the ship docked there. 26 quarantined crew members and one passenger, some showing symptoms, others asymptomatic. 26-year-old Alyssa Mangum, who was on the Vista with her boyfriend, says she first heard of the outbreak online. I actually was not notified um, by the carnival ship at all until I saw it on social media first. When they finally told us like what was going on, everyone just kept going on with their vacation, but I think everyone started wearing their masks a little bit more. On Saturday, the Vista returned to Galveston, Texas. Some passengers seemingly unfazed that others were quarantined. It was amazing. It was fantastic. One of the best cruises I've ever taken. The cruise line uh, staff, um, servers and everybody did a fantastic job always wearing their mask and making us feel safe. Carnival Vista back at sea this morning, complicating Carnival's evolving protocols. All 27 who tested positive were vaccinated. Since the outbreak, new passengers on Carnival, regardless of vaccination status, must also show proof of a negative COVID test. Carnival says passengers who cannot get vaccinated because of their age or health reasons may still cruise, but they'll have to pay a $150 unvaccinated fee for testing. The cruise ship industry started sailing again from U.S. ports in June. The outbreak on the Vista, the largest on board a passenger ship since that return. 
And even as they restart sailings here in the United States, they're still fighting for survival. It, it's crucial that they're able to keep COVID off their ships, implement new policies to make it less of a risk going forward. Carnival writing in a statement in part that its stringent health protocols on board exceed CDC guidelines, adding our procedures are designed to manage and mitigate any situation. The CDC now requires 95% of all passengers to be vaccinated. Carnival reports it exceeded that requirement on the Vista with 96.5% of passengers and 99.98% of crew members with shots. As for those who were tested positive, according to Carnival Cruise Lines, those crew members who were put in quarantine as of Saturday had been cleared by medical staff to return to work. Hoda? All right, Carrie Sanders for us there. Carrie, thank you. Coming up next, Vicki Wynn's going to help your family if you're finding school supplies in short supply. Hey, good morning. From browser extensions to secondhand marketplaces for kids' clothes, back to school season is here. I'm Vicki Wynn. I'm going to walk you through the different ways you can save big money and get what you want, especially in a summer of shortages. That's next on Today. Welcome back. This morning on today's Consumer, an annual ritual this time of year, the back-to-school shopping. Yeah, but unlike years past, this time around, shoppers are facing shortages and they're facing price hikes. And that's just no fun at all. NBC's mm -hmm. investigative consumer correspondent Vicki Wynn is here with everything we need to know. Normally, shopping for back-to-school supplies yeah. is super fun. It's fun. It's a time yeah. to get ready for the school yeah. year. This year, a little bit different. Students getting ready to get back to the books again across the country, but parents are bracing to shell out more money this year. Experts say if you haven't started shopping, now is the time to start. This morning, I'm going to show you how to get what you need and save more than 60% on some items. Back to school shopping is anything but typical this year. I feel like it was overwhelming. We're just taking whatever is available. I found myself having to shop in the boys section because the girls section was completely cleared out. Parents across the country sounding off about their back to school shopping woes. I was surprised how much money I had to spend. According to the National Retail Federation, families are planning to spend an average of almost $850 on school items. That's nearly $60 more than last year. It is more expensive this year. Be flexible. Neil Saunders is the managing partner at Global Data. He says supply chain challenges mean product shortages and fewer discounts. What are some of the items where you anticipate some shortages or that might be harder to find? Backpacks, for example, sneakers, apparel, technology products like laptops, and also things like desks. Why is there going to be such a rush on apparel this year? Consumers did not buy lots of clothes last year for kids, and now they're going back to school. If you want the best prices and selection, shop around and shop early. That's exactly what my team did. Backpacks were all picked over at this store in New Jersey, but just five miles away, we found backpacks fully stocked. Why is it that we won't see the same kind of sales and discounts that we typically do? We often see the sales and discounts stimulate demand and to clear down stock. And the truth is retailers just don't need to do that this year because demand is very, very high. So how do you save money? It's actually pretty easy. First, install a free browser extension like Honey. With this Honey browser, you can actually track the price history of an item. For example, take a look at this tablet. I know it's down to $120 now. That's $30 cheaper than it was just a month ago, so this is a good time to buy. Honey also looks for discount codes at the more than 40,000 retailers it supports. 
Also, check the resale market. We found lunchboxes and craft supplies on Facebook Marketplace. And a whole bunch of laptops and tablets deeply discounted on Swappa. It's a marketplace for gently used tech. And check out websites like ThreadUp for gently used kids' clothes. Look, we found these Levi's for 61% off. Kitizen and Mercari are also great stops to find deals on secondhand kids' clothes. And one of the easiest tools to use right here on Google Shop. All you do is type in the specific item you're looking for. The more details, the better. The brand, the color. Google will do the searching for you and allow you to compare prices for where to buy. Tips to help you find everything on your list and save money. Now, if you do find yourself shopping last minute, just try expanding your search. For example, if you need backpacks, go beyond the big box stores and the department stores. Try the smaller businesses in your area. Another spot, sporting goods stores. Oh, yeah. That Google shopping button, I never push it. And oh, now really? there's a reason helpful. to push it. Get on it. I might have pushed it before. <laughs> sure a couple did. times. Vicky, thank you very much. Right, let's move over to Dylan Dreyer. Just got to check the weather and the forecast. Hey, Dill. Good morning again, guys. Really a, a pretty bad situation in the Pacific Northwest where the smoke is really creating some bad air, air quality, especially across Montana, through Idaho, uh, through Wyoming, Oregon, and Washington, where we have so many fires burning, and the threat of more fires will continue through the day today, and the, the, the uh, smoke will be extremely thick. So so if anyone has respiratory issues, uh, you really need to stay inside as much as you can today. The smoke will start to travel to the east, especially through northern Minnesota, even uh, stretching over into Kansas, too. So we do have those uh, same conditions. It's very, very dry, very low humidity, and temperatures are exceptionally hot. Rapid City, South Dakota, 100 degrees for a high today. Casper, Wyoming, 93. Jackson, 88. So we're still running about 15 to 25 degrees above average. But we will get some relief. Look at Jackson. We go from 86 on Tuesday down down to only 69 degrees on Thursday. Medford, Oregon still stays very hot. Las Vegas drops from 107 on Tuesday down to 100 on Thursday. And we're still looking for the heat to continue in Sioux Falls for another couple of days before it does drop into the upper 80s. So slight relief as we go towards the end of the week. And that's your latest forecast. All right, thanks, Dylan. If you've been watching our show going, where's the good news? Yeah. It's coming. Yes. Muhammad Ali's grandson makes his professional boxing debut. Yeah, how he honored the legend in the ring and what he's saying about following in the footsteps of one of the most famous athletes ever right after this. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Welcome back. The legendary Muhammad Ali made his pro boxing debut just over 60 years ago. Hard to fathom. And over the weekend, his grandson continued the family legacy and did the exact same thing. Yeah, this is such a great story. NBC News Now anchor Joe Fryer has more on the new pro boxer who has the sports world buzzing. Joe, good morning. <laughs> good morning. This is an impressive young man, to say the least. Nico Ali Walsh faced enormous pressure, as you can imagine, leading up to this weekend's highly anticipated bout. But the 21-year-old college student lived up to expectations, and the Ali family name as he made his pro boxing debut. Like grandfather, like grandson. 
with Nico Ali Walsh's Saturday night debut. Third generation of Muhammad Ali's family joined the ranks of pro boxing, giving the crowd at Hard Rock Live in Oklahoma a chance to chant this. With Ali Walsh quickly defeating Jordan Weeks by technical knockout in the first round. TKO victory for the grandson of the GOAT. It absolutely, it's like a euphoric feeling right now. Nico's grandfather, or Poppy as he called him, debuted professionally in 1960, launching his legendary career. I am the greatest. And Muhammad Ali's daughter, Layla Ali, is considered one of the sport's greatest female boxers. The pressure was just so immense. I'm so blessed that everything worked out the way it did. The greatest night of my life. He wore his grandfather's trunks in the ring because his weren't ready. I wasn't planning on wearing them, but it just happened that like the world made it so that I had to. And I was kicking myself in the head that my, my custom trunks weren't ready but it turned out perfectly. After the win, he struck a familiar pose. My goal is to continue a legacy, not just the legacy of a great man, a great fighter, but me, a great grandfather. The grandson of the greatest, now packing his own punch. So we said Nico's a college student studying business entrepreneurship and film. He told us his next pro fight officially has a date. He's set to enter the ring again on October 23rd. Nico told me his trunks will be ready that time. <laughs> he won't be wearing his grandfather's again. Those well, are now retired. But those are good luck, obviously. Yeah, for him, right? He thinks they helped him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No kidding. All right, Joe, thanks so much for that. And straight ahead this morning, a formerly conjoined twin makes history again, becoming a mom in the very same hospital where she was born. We're gonna meet her new bundle of joy. And then coming up on Popstart, how do you follow up a surprising gold medal win at the Olympics? Well, we are going to show you what Suni Lee is up to. But first, this is Today on NBC. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.